standing on the edge of an area called Circle Park at the University of Tennessee. There's a statue. It's called the Torchbearer. And the inscription below this statue reads, One that beareth a torch shadoweth oneself to give light to others. The idea, of course, is that the one who carries the torch... They, they give of themselves. They subject themselves. They deprioritize themselves for the sake of spreading the light to others, spreading the light into dark places. When they take up that torch, they will stretch, right? They will sometimes even have to strain to allow that light to penetrate into all of the the corners and the crevices and the places where that light needs to shine. This morning, we are stepping back into what is known as Paul and Barnabas' Paul's first missionary journey. He and Barnabas, they set out from this church in a place called Syria, Antioch, and from there, they went out to bring the light, to spread the good news. Paul and Barnabas, they are, they are missionaries, right? They are on a mission uh, to obey the command that Jesus had given, and that is to, to be his witnesses, right, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. They are in, in, in a very, very real sense, torch bearers carrying the light of Jesus to the dark places of the world. I can remember back when I was in Sunday school. I was, I was a kid in Sunday school, and as, you know, we, I think we had some missionaries visiting, and my thought was, well, I am never going to be one of those, because that sounds hard. It doesn't sound like a great thing to have to go to uh, a strange place, to have to leave my home to begin with, then go to some strange place where I, I don't know the customs and I don't know the people, and I have to eat strange food. I don't want to do that. And then I'm going to have to have conversations with people, and I'm kind of a shy personality kind of guy. I'm kind of reserved. I'd rather just kind of do my own thing, but to have to go and engage people with something that they may not want to hear That doesn't sound good to me. But then I was confronted with this reality that if what the Bible says is true, then being a a missionary, being a torchbearer, sharing, spreading that light, it's, it's not really optional for me. It's actually integral for me. It just goes with the territory. It, it comes with the title. If, if I have new life in Christ, that I've been forgiven my sin, I've been hurled into this new kingdom, have this new relationship with a new king, then I have to do the stuff that he's called me to do. And, and, and I guess I, I am a, a missionary. Now, that doesn't mean that all of us are called to go to a foreign country. No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you are a carrier. (laughs) You're a carrier of the light and of the hope that people around you so desperately need. To his disciples, Jesus commissioned, go, make disciples. 
well, well why, why would you want to do that? Why would I sign up for that? Well, f- well first of all, because you have a, you have a new master. You have a, a Lord and a Savior. If he is my Lord and Savior, then I, I kind of need to do what my Lord tells me to do. Did I, did I turn from my old life of doing things my way back to God by the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit? And now I acknowledge that this is where I should have been going all along. Well, then I need to listen to him now, don't I? That's one reason. Secondly, because I have the spirit of Christ dwelling in me. And if I do, he's doing a transformative work in me, right? A heart of stone is now turning into a heart of flesh. It's getting softer. It's caring more for others around me. At least it should, right? Sometimes I don't feel that way. But I should be caring more deeply for the people that Jesus cares for. And yes, maybe that heart should even break a little bit. Maybe it should be a lot like Jesus' heart as he was about to enter into Jerusalem. And he looks out at the city and he just starts weeping for these people, these lost people. And so maybe that should compel me to take this light. Thirdly, it's just kind of, a, it's just kind of wrong to conceal good news, isn't it? That would kind of be wrong. It would kind of be selfish. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. City set on a hill, it can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. One, that's a fire hazard. But, tr- but two, the lamp is to give light. No, you put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, so, so yeah, if, if I am a Christian, then I am called to be a witness. I, I'm, for all intents and purposes, I am a missionary. I'm a torchbearer that carries the light. The big question is, how am I doing at being a torchbearer? How am I doing? When it, when it comes to my turn and your turn to stand before your king, what is he going to say with this light that you've been entrusted with? How, how, did you, how did you handle that? What did you do with it? Is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or is it going to be more like that, that guy Jesus talked about, the one who was given all the talents? Who, who took the talents and he, and, and he was supposed to give a, you know, uh, an accounting for what he did with the talents and, and maybe a return for what he did with those talents, but instead he was fearful and, and, and complacent, maybe apprehensive, and he took them and he buried them in the ground? What is the master going to say when he returns and says, what did you do with your talents? Jesus said he's going to say, you wicked, slothful servant. How are we at torch-bearing? Well, let's follow two men who set out on a journey, and they kind of set the bar for the rest of us as to what torch-bearing should look like. And we're going to see some important characteristics, some important marks of torch-bearing. Look with me at verse 1. It says this. This is Acts chapter 14, verse 
1, and it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So it's Paul and it's his partner Barnabas, and they are going to spread the light. Before this, they were at a place called Pisidia Antioch, which is different. That's way up there on the top left. It's different from the Antioch you see down in the lower right in Syria. There, they made their way all the way to Pisidia Antioch, and that's where they had encountered some Jewish people who were very, very intrigued at the message that Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming, but then all of a sudden things turned on them, and they began to be jealous about what was going up there, and they go stir up some important people in the city, and they drive Paul and Barnabas out. If you're with us last week, you remember Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off of their feet as they leave, essentially saying, you know what, you Jewish people, you, you, you think you're, you're so much better than these Gentiles because you have the law, but the law is not doing it for you. You're no better off than they were. And Paul says, you know what, first we were commanded by our Lord to go to the Jews, but but he says, because you considered yourselves unworthy for eternal life, well, now we're going to turn to the Gentiles. Okay, that's it. We're done. Shake the dust off of our feet. So that brings us where we're at today. They journey to this place called Iconium. Now, what we would expect when they were at Iconium would be for Paul and Barnabas to go to who? Well, they're going to go to the Gentiles, right? They're going to go to the Gentiles. That's not what we see here in verse 1. It says they go into the synagogue. What is going on here? Why are they still going to the synagogue? Why are they going to the Jews first? Why would they do that? They do it because they're not carrying this light haphazardly. Not haphazard. They're, they're not just stumbling around waiting to bump into people here. It's, it, it just happens to be the right time, the right place, the right opportunity here. Okay, then we'll share the good news. No, these torchbearers are deliberate. They are very deliberate. They had a plan. They had a strategy, not only for getting the good news out there, but to do it in a way that impacted the most amount of people. And this is actually the first key mark that I want us to hone in on, and that is that torchbearers are deliberate. They're deliberate. Paul and Barnabas, they knew that if they went to the Gentiles first, that's going to cut off all opportunity they would have to then enter into a synagogue and to talk to the Jews. Why is it going to do that? Well, they're going to be probably considered unclean. They're probably not going to be allowed to go into the synagogue. And so either thinking through that or just knowing that from the culture that they lived in, they always, whenever there's a synagogue in a town, they're going to go first to that synagogue. They're going to go first to that place because we want to speak to the Jews first. We want to make sure that they hear this as well as the Gentiles, Christians, torch bearers. People who've been called by God out of darkness into his marvelous light for the sake of proclaiming the, the, the wonderfulest mar marvels of our great God, proclaiming the light, spreading it to all around. We need to be thinking deliberately when it comes to this task that we've been given. 
Too often, I think we, we go through life just, just leaving things to, to some sort of chance. If the opportunity it stares me directly in the face, well, then I'm going to maybe consider taking that opportunity. Maybe I'll consider sharing Jesus at that time. I think too often we're a little bit more like that, that servant who because of our own insecurities or because of our comfort or because of whatever it is, we take the talent and we say, uh, let's, let's put this over here. Let's, let's take the light. Let's kind of hide this over in the corner right now because I, 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 I'm just not really, really feeling it. If I if I'm find myself in that corner... I'm sitting down at breakfast with somebody, and they say, "Hey, could you know? I've, I've been struggling uh, thinking about you know the, the you know the eternal things, and I'm just wondering, you know, do you have any insight on you know how I might you know go to a good place versus a bad bad place uh, for eternity? Uh, could you could you share with me a little bit?" And you go, <laughs> "Well, um, yeah, maybe. Uh, okay, we could talk about Jesus now." I think too often we're a little bit like that. Rather than failing to be intentional about being about our Father's business, do we really believe that we have a king that we will one day stand before? Do we really believe that he's called us to more than just making our way through life, just getting by in life the best we possibly can? Do we really care about making disciples? And we ask ourselves, Lord, why? Why are you putting up with all of this evil that's going on in our world? It just seems like more and more it's bubbling up all over the place, everywhere we look. In fact, we don't know who to buy clothes from anymore because it's just everything seems to be tainted and agenda-driven. And what do we do? Why do you allow this? Why are you taking so long to return? You told us that you were coming. We're all waiting for that big party in the sky. We're looking forward to it, God. Let's, let's not delay any longer. Let's just take us home. Take me now. I'm ready now. We ask God why. And then Peter reminds us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do, do you see it? Do, do you see the connection point here? Whatever the delay is that we may be feeling in regards to Christ's return, it has to do with God's desire for more people to come to know him. And it seems to me, could be wrong, but it seems to me that that has some connection to this thing about his disciples carrying a torch, carrying the light of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that the return of our king depends on you. I don't think it does. If you don't do your job, then Jesus is, yeah, he's just going to keep delaying and delaying and delaying. He's never coming back. You better get on with it. No, that's not what we're talking about here. He is in control. He's going to come good on his promises, whether or not we're, we're doing our job of shining the light or not. But here's the thing. This is not about his faithfulness. It's not about his faithfulness. We're talking about our faithfulness this morning. Our faithfulness. Oh, that our king would find us faithfully going about what he's called us to. Amen? 
Yeah, we know that there's no way that we can do this on our own strength, but didn't he say you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? And, and doesn't that happen immediately when we say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need what you did on the cross for me? We have what we need. So let's not be lazy servants who wait around for him to, to just take us and hold us by the hand or, or just spoon feed it to us. Let's think carefully about shining the light. Let's be deliberate in seeking out opportunities to share it. And, and yes, even pray that he enables us to speak it boldly. Amen? That actually takes us right to our second characteristic. Effective torchbearers are bold. They're bold. They boldly go where they boldly go speak. They boldly go where God commands. Some people are bold by nature, aren't they? I'm one of those people. I just, I just can't help myself. I'm really bold. I'm super, life of the party, uh, super outgoing. Uh, and everyone else gets really intimidated because of how bold. No, I'm not that person at all. I'm the guy in the corner going, boy, uh, yeah, they seem to be a lot more bold than me. They're telling the jokes. They're starting the conversations. They're in, more interesting than anybody else. And I'll just, I'll just defer to them. I'll just let them do their, their bold thing. Sometimes I, I, I defer to the bold people. Probably more often than not, I sit in the corner, I go, oh, no, there they go again, stealing the show. <laughs> but you know, so often when it comes to this idea of carrying the light, carrying the torch, I, I and I think a lot of other Christians tend to defer to the bold people. Well, they're, they're the ones. They're, they, they love the attention anyway, and they're not afraid of awkward conversations. So they, they, it's just their gift. They're just gifted at this thing called evangelism. And so there they go. Thank God for them. I'll just stay back here and I'll do my own thing. But, but you know, being a more reserved or timid person, it's, it's really not an excuse, is it? It's not an excuse for avoiding the mission that God has called us all to. Jesus didn't say, those of you who are outgoing, you be my witnesses. He didn't say that. Now, there's no qualifier there. All that he indicated was that the, we, we need the message. We, we need to know Christ. You need to, you need to know you're a sinner in need of a Savior that Jesus Christ is your one and only hope because he took the punishment that you deserved on the cross for your sins, making a way for you to be forgiven and for your broken relationship with God your Father, your Maker, to be restored. We need to have that message. Well, we've got that message. But you, I also can't do it on my own strength. And he says, well, yeah, I know that. That's why I gave you my spirit. We have that as well. And does that mean that everyone needs to stand up on a chair in the quad of my high school and go say, you all need Jesus, you better repent or, or you're going to burn. No, no, no. I don't think we all need to do that either. At least not necessarily. You see, God has uniquely designed each and every one of us, hasn't he? He's wired us in certain ways with certain giftedness, yes, certain interests, certain abilities. And, and the way he is going to use me to carry that light to people is a little bit different from the way he's going to use you to carry that light. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to do it. 
And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be deliberate in doing it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be bold in doing it. Paul and Barnabas, they're speaking to the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogue, and a great number were believing. But, but look at verse 2, what it says here. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. Here we go again. Opposition again. What are Paul and Barnabas going to do? They faced opposition at Pisidia, Antioch, right? And what did they do? Well, they shook the dust off their feet, didn't they? Is that what's going to happen here? They're going to move on. We tried there. Now we tried here. Okay, well, at least we did our job. We're out. Verse 3 might surprise us. It says, so they remained a long time. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time. What? How does that make sense? Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they're not shying away from arguments, are they? Are they shying away from uncomfortable situations? Are they shying away from people who are, who are just blatantly objecting to what they're saying? No. What are they doing? They're choosing to engage, aren't they? They're, they're stepping right into the thick of it, aren't they? They're proclaiming the word of God like they were commanded to do. Do you like confrontation? I love it. No, I hate it. I hate confrontation. I'd rather do just about anything else than be in a conflict with someone. I'm going to look for the way of escape. It's happened many, many times in my life. Someone brings up some type of objection to something I believe, and I, I'm, my mind isn't thinking, how do I reason with them? How do I help point them to the... No, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this as fast as I can? But you know, when the stakes are high... And the job that I've been asked to do is directly given to me by my king. I need to think twice about that. I need to think twice about what my response is going to be to the opposition. As uncomfortable as it may have been, these men stick to it. I like what one pastor points out here. He says, boldness is what enables believers to persist in the face of opposition. We need that kind of boldness, don't we? We need to encourage one another towards that kind of boldness. We need to be praying like, like Peter and John. Do you remember, we first started our series, they were dragged before the high Jewish council. They were strictly instructed, do not speak the name of Jesus. They're released. First thing they do is go find the brothers and sisters in Christ, and they pray for boldness to continue speaking the name of Jesus. We need to do the same thing, don't we? But you know, boldness isn't the same thing as foolishness. Not the same thing. It's one thing to lean into difficult and uncomfortable conversations. It's another thing to jump to your death. <laughs> Verse 4 and 5 tell us that the people were divided here. They're divided. They're being poisoned. They're divided. Remember we noted last week the gospel is a sword that divides. The tension was growing. Anger was building. And then Paul and Barnabas become aware that there's a threat. These people are talking about stoning them. This is, this is going to go south here. And that's when they say, okay, we need to leave. They could have died trying to convince them. They could have died arguing, but, but it made more sense. You know, we've got a message to carry here. We've got a mission 
to accomplish here. We're going to go share that light with somebody else. And so they make their way to another town, and they go to the town of Lystra. Look at verse 8. It says, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, Lystra, it's a small town, not too far from Iconium. And the people there uh, were, were rather, it seems, a rather simple-minded people. And they see this miracle happen. And the first conclusion that they jump to is, you know, that, that folk folklore and some of our history and our, you know, how we believe in this God and that God, that must be what the explanation is here. And they say, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they begin rummaging about and they begin uh, talking very loudly, causing some type of great commotion. And they're gathering things left and right. And Paul and Barnabas didn't know what was going on because they were speaking their native tongue there and, and they didn't speak that language. What's going on here? And at some point, someone comes up to them and says, you know what they're doing? That bull over there, they're going to sacrifice to you because they're so excited that they have gods among them. This is incredible. And that's when Paul realizes this is, this is not a good thing. Paul says this, men, why are you doing these things? We, we are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave them without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You know, maybe you've seen in, in some movies or TV shows or stories that you've, you've read where there's a group of tra travelers and they're flying an airplane and the airplane, it crash lands in the middle of nowhere. And there's a people there, indigenous people there, that are, they've been cut off from the world and they don't know anything, any better. And they see these stranded travelers that fell from the sky and they start bowing down to them and they start bringing them all sorts of goodies and sitting them on some throne and putting, you know, stuff on flowers, throwing flowers at their feet and all of that kind of stuff. This is a little bit like the scenario that Paul and Barnabas find themselves in right here. And in those scenarios, very often, I was thinking, it was, uh, I think, Treasure of Sierra Madre, an old Humphrey Bogart movie where there was one of the guys and he does something for some natives and, and they do the exact same thing. And you know what he does? This is nice. This is really nice. He has all these young girls coming and they're feeding him grapes and different things. And this isn't too bad. It would have been so easy for Paul and Barnabas to do that. So easy to just sit back and say, you know what, this isn't bad. God must be blessing us here because, you know, at the last town, we got booted out of there. And now all of a sudden, we are enjoying, it's the red carpet laid out for us. This is incredible. Don't we deserve that? The bull? We're doing a barbecue? Let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes, we need to tell these people about Jesus, but, you know, let's, I mean, what's the harm in having a good meal here? Same is true for us, isn't it? It's so easy, 
so easy for us to accept the accolades and the praises and the awards and the recognition. So easy. It's not hard to, to turn and, and, and say, you know what, this pedestal you want to put me on, that, I, that's okay. Let's, let's enjoy that for a little bit. Let them gloat all over us. Let them love on us a little bit. But Paul and Barnabas, they don't do that, do they? We can't do that. There's no room for them to take any credit for this man who just jumped to his feet and started walking. We can't take credit for that because we're torchbearers. And torchbearers exist so that people will not see them, but will see the light. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas do here. What an opportunity we have to point these people to the Savior. The third thing is effective torchbearers are humble. They're humble. They don't draw attention away from the flame. They're all about the flame. Like the inscription read on that UT statue. They're here to be in the shadows so that the light is what people see. And so they don't revel in their own abilities or their own knowledge or their strength. To the contrary, they're quick to point out their shortcomings and their weaknesses so that the only one who gets glory is the one who deserves the glory, and that's God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Therefore I will boast, yeah, I'll brag, all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Humble torchbearers, humble witnesses put their attention on Jesus. And what's more, they do that in the moments of weakness and in the moments of tragedy and calamity and heartbreak. Church, what a great opportunity we have right now. We're in one of those moments. It happened just a couple weeks ago. We had a bunch of money stolen from us. That actually hurt. It was enough money to where it actually hurt us. And we get to watch what God does. What's more, we get to show people what God does and what he is doing inside of us right now. He's leading us to freak out and panic, isn't he? No. He's leading us to trust him. He's leading us to look to him. He's leading us to go, Lord, money was never our source of security to begin with. It's you. You're the one running this thing. You're the one providing for this thing. In fact, this is not our church. This is your church. And what a witness that is. You know what we're doing when we do that? If we're doing that, we're pointing to the light. But what happens when things go from bad to worse, right? What happens when the next big robbery happens? <laughs> What about those seasons where you're hurting and, and you're waiting? God, I know I'm looking to you, I'm trusting you, and then you get hurt some more. And, and, and now the doctors are saying, this doesn't look like it's going to turn around. In fact, we're looking at a slope here, and it's, it's, it's taken a turn, staggering turn for the worse. 
What about then? What about when it looks like evil is winning and good is losing? Look at verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Does that sound like good news? They're coming into Lystra from Antioch, Iconium. Wait a second. What, how do the Jews react in Antioch and Iconium? Not good. This is not good news. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, not with drugs, and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. How stoned do you have to be to be considered dead? Why would God allow this? This, this is your deliberate, this is your bold, this is your humble torchbearer here, and you just allowed boulders to be thrown at him to the point where he is hurting so bad, people think he is dead. Why would you allow this, God? I don't know the answer to that one. Why does God allow people to suffer, people, his people to suffer and be abused at the hands of evil people? Well, I do know that as they do, they're sharing in the sufferings that their Savior endured. I do know that Jesus told us, you know what, if they hated me, they're going to hate you also. Be prepared for this. I do know that that can produce a stronger resilience in his people, that faith can just blossom and flourish as they continue to look to God as their source of hope and strength. I know it's an opportunity for us to give a picture to the world out there of who our Savior is, who Jesus is. I know that God is glorified when his people endure these trials of various kinds for his name's sake. But I still don't feel like I could adequately explain the specific instances that we face. Well, why this one? And why this suffering? And why this trial in your life? How should God's people respond when they've suffered, when they're suffering at the hands of others? What do you do after you've been slandered? What do you do after you have been wrongfully terminated? What do you do after you've taken a beating, either, either physically or maybe verbally, emotionally? What do you do after you've been robbed? Is that where you just throw up your hands and say, you know what, that's it. It's been real. I'm done. I've taken my medicine. I've done my time. I'm going to sit the rest of the game out. Look at verse 20. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. Was this some type of miraculous thing going on? It, sure, it certainly sounds like it, but Luke doesn't point to that at all. He rises up. We have all reason to believe that he is badly hurting. And he enters the city. Go back into the lion's den. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. This place, Derby, on the map, it's 40 miles away. A 40-mile walk. Imagine how painful that must have been. <laughs> this guy a trooper or what? What does it tell you about these witnesses? It tells us that even the harshest of treatments, even the most excruciating of circumstances, was not enough to sway them from their mission. And that brings us to the fact that effective torchbearers are relentless. 
They are relentless in their mission. These men knew what they were called to do. They knew that they had limited time to do it. What's more, they knew what was at stake. Nothing less than the souls of men and women who have been made in the very image of God. Paul would later write to the Ephesians. He, he, he said, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. Are the days that you find yourself in evil? Mine certainly are. What's the best use of your time? How determined are you to be about the business that your Father in heaven has called you to? Have you been let down? Have you experienced some setbacks? Have you experienced an obstacle or two? We need to be relentless, don't we? Maybe you're feeling like it's a lost cause. Maybe you're feeling like it's just an impossible task. In those moments, remember what Paul said to the church in Philippi. He said, I know how to be brought low. I believe him. And I know how to abound. In any case, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. Yes, Paul knew what it meant to be brought low. I don't know how much lower you can possibly get than being dragged into the street and beaten until left for dead. But here he moves on to the next town. Verse 21 says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Do you see what's happening here? You've got to be kidding me. After preaching Jesus in Derby and people coming to faith in Christ in Derby, he could have gone a different route. He goes back to the very places that had rejected and abused him. You know, they talk these days about people being snowflakes and people being, you know, they don't have any work ethic anymore. This is the guy we need to look to. This is the bar that's set here. He is on mission and he is not giving up. He circles back. Verse 22 says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them, continuing the faith. The few disciples that were there in Lystra, in Iconium, they need to be encouraged, so we're going. And, they're saying, and he was saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What a powerful testimony that must have been. What tribulations have you faced, Paul? Oh, <laughs> So we need to continue on. It, Paul was a living illustration right then and there. Do you think all his wounds had healed? I, I doubt it. Living illustration of what it means to persevere. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, now they're, now they're saying, we've got to set you guys up here. We need to structure these churches that are forming. All these disciples, you're all just gathering together. There's, let's, let's get some good leaders here to love you, to shepherd you, to preach the truth to you. It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What an amazing work this is. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there... They sailed to Antioch. 
where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled, finally back home. And so ends the first missionary journey. Finally, back at their sending church. What would you have reported if you were Paul and Barnabas walking into that church? What would, what would you say as they looked at you and said, oh my goodness, what happened to you? Would you say, you know what, let me tell you, this was a lot worse than we thought. This was just unexpectedly difficult. And, it, you know, would you, would you let these people just go, Paul, Barnabas, like, we got to lather some love on you. We need to care for you a little while. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, it was really hard. I, I, that hurts. Yeah, you know, be careful. We don't see Paul and Barnabas doing that at all. In fact, not only do we not see them looking for sympathy here, but they don't take any credit for what's accomplished either, do they? When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Here's the final mark we see. Effective torchbearers, they are joyful worshipers. This is what they do. They worship. Not, we're not talking about just singing with the congregation. We're talking about worshiping as they go about their business. We're talking about worshiping as they have conversations with each other. Is your conversation with your fellow believers, is that worship? Are you pointing your brother and your sister to Jesus Christ and how wonderful and how awesome he is when you are just having, shooting the breeze? When, when, you're, when you're out there talking with non-believers, is the, the words that are coming out of your mouth, yeah, you're talking business with them. Oh, you're talking about this frustrating employee over here. Oh, you're, you're talking about what's going on in the world, how, how horrible the government is, or whatever it is. is. Is worship coming out of your mouth? Effective torchbearers are joyful worshipers. This wasn't about them. This isn't about them. We're coming to give you the report. You know who this is about? This is about the light that we were carrying. This is about Jesus. Torchbearers exist so that others might see the light. When they were on mission, that meant all about the people seeing the gospel of Jesus. I want you to see the gospel of Jesus. Don't, no, no, don't, don't look at us. It's, no, don't, don't praise us. We don't need this, this barbecue here. This is about Jesus here. We're talking about the God who made all the stuff that you see around you. That's who we're talking about. They're worshiping. And then when they're back home with their church family, that meant pointing those people to the wonderful things that God had accomplished. The words written on that UT statue... One that beareth a torch shadoweth oneself to give light to others. That's exactly right. Shadoweth oneself to give light to others. If, if you and I know Jesus, we are torchbearers. We carry the light of the world. How are we doing that? Deliberately? Boldly? Humbly? Relentlessly? Are we doing it in such a way that we are joyfully worshiping the one who brought us out of darkness and into this marvelous light to begin with? Let's make the best use of the time that we have. The days are evil. Yeah, they're evil. There's no, no denying that. 
Let's know what the will of the Lord is. Let's shine bright the light of Jesus until the day he calls us home. Amen? And let's do that right now by taking the bread and the juice together, declaring together that Jesus is our one and only hope. Right? We will witness, we will be witnesses right here, right now as we take these and say, yes, Jesus is what I need.